Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season two of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a fever dream. We got loads of rosettes. <laughs> I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to the author, Catriona Ward. I can't remember what... Did we lie about it? Did we construct a narrative where we weren't fighting? And her sister, Antonia Ward. I can't remember that, but clearly I was chasing you. So who's the um, who's the aggressor here? But... <laughs> but I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. So when we were little, like, Cat was so much fun, but she also had this incredible interior world. Like looking back through old photos, in almost every one, she's holding a book. She'd done some really incredibly brave things, like she fell in love and she moved all the way across the world for a boy. And I remember thinking, like, don't move, don't move, don't give up your job and move for a boy. But you know, that was wrong. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Catriona and Antonia, or Katinx and Noon, are 20 months apart and spent their childhood in exotic locations as well as the US and Dartmoor in the UK, a place which inspired Catriona's writing. We talk about moving around, playing horses, trying to fit in and the importance of aunties. But Catriona, who's the eldest, started by describing a near-miss experience on the island of Madagascar. I mean, we had, we fought, I think, like everyone else, like everyone does. We had this intense loyalty to each other as well that sort of superseded anything else. I always remember when, like, so Madagascar, obviously not particularly well equipped with hospitals or anything like that. So it's quite serious if you get yourself damaged in any meaningful way. I remember we were having a fight, and she was, I think, she was chase. She was chasing me, and. I slammed a door in her, in, like in her face. But the thing is, her hand was outstretched, and it, and it was a glass door. I I had this strong sense of justice that I I was chasing Cat because some great wrong had been done, and um, the the, <laughs> the doors all had these glass panes in them, and so I sort of like. I mean, you know, reaching out to grab her and she slammed the door on my hand. So her hand went right through the glass door and she was like, "Is a tiny, I remember this, this tiny little thing she, and it, it broke the glass and she, she cut. I mean, luckily it didn't actually go near the vital bits, but she was bleeding from her wrist, you know. And, and, and there was that moment where we both just sort of went quiet for a minute and we were like, uh, what's happened there? <laughs> And then I think that we were just a little bit sheepish about um, my mum's, which I just, we suddenly became very good at working together to try and keep that quiet. Um. And we were just, we just, it, I mean, it would definitely put an end to the fight. We were sort of sitting on the floor going, how do we not tell mum and dad about what we've done? <laughs> um, 
did not prove possible but um <laughs> i can't remember what, did we lie about it did we construct a narrative where we weren't fighting and broke a door and tried to murder i tried to murder you by severing your vein <laughs> i can't remember that but obviously like you know it went from clearly i was chasing you so who's the um who's the aggressor here but <laughs> and so i've quite rightly ended up with a scar like right next to that big vein in your wrist didn't you have to get airlifted to reunion what to go to hospital yeah no yeah oh you mean uh, if if one did go to hospital you had to... yeah yeah no yeah, you yeah. didn't get but if you if one went to the hospital <laughs> she's like i don't I remember, remember that, that. Yeah. yeah that would be one hell of a suppressed memory wouldn't it yeah. <laughs> oh you but remember you were in a coma for a year <laughs> what? yeah exactly maybe you still are <laughs> That's your fourth book. Actually. Yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> what sorts of things would you have rowed about when you were little? Can you remember? Oh, oh, it's always you're using my thing. I have my things and you have you things. And the thing is, I actually was, I'm, I was and still am not that great, not that careful with my possessions, whereas Antonia's incredibly careful. So quite often I'd break my thing and then I'd want to use her thing. And she would understandably say, no, you broke your thing. Is that true? Is my- she quite careless, Antonia, with stuff? I wouldn't say careless, but, you know, cats sort of, you know, operating on a higher plane and so focused on these other, you know, big, important things. <laughs> That's a yes. You can hear a yes in that. <laughs> my mum my said, actually, she said the one the one thing she thought was really true, rang true in Fleabag, was when, and I think it's in the second episode, is when they, the two sisters are at the play and she looks at her and realises she's wearing her top. <laughs> and there's this, like, moment of, like, poison that goes between them yeah and that goes from childhood straight straight through yeah it doesn't stop it just things the things just change i wanted to ask you about the fact that you traveled so much i know your dad worked as a water economist so you guys were a little unit that picked up packed up and moved around the globe what do you think that did to your relationship at the times of moving you know i was um particularly the younger moves up until about uh sort of eight i I didn't think about it, you know, wherever the family went was was perfect. We were going to be very, you know, happy and comfortable and settled. Obviously, now looking back on it, Kat and I are extremely bonded by that, really, really close. And um, we just made our own fun and our own world wherever we were, really. Well, it was lovely. I mean, it was a sort of, in, in a lot of ways, it was lovely. It was... I mean, you, we, like we kept chameleons as pets. It's you know, and we, like we did. We just found them in the garden and kept them as pets. It was pretty. It was pretty special and idyllic. And you know, like when we go for a walk on Sunday, you go to the rainforest and have a walk. I do remember being lonely, and I think she maybe was just that tiny bit, tiny bit younger. So maybe it didn't seem. You know, maybe that like, like in our school, for instance, there were twelve kids, and that's all from first to twelfth grade. Wow. We'd all sit in sort of a row in the, in the in these classrooms, and the teacher would just like move back a row to teach the next grade, which is probably just one child, or and indeed like a whole entire grade skipped because no, there was no one in it. I had three people, three other students in my year, and we were all really close friends and. And um, you know, still still am with with some of them, and uh, you know, it was it was such a lovely, small, approachable world. You know, I felt 
very confident in it. It was such a place of uh, adventure, but security. You know, and this is before the internet as well. It's not like you can feel connected really to anywhere else or family or things like that but also when you move you can't take people with you so I do remember that I do remember that being quite lonely I wouldn't change it for the world believe me I just and I think every every, I don't know any childhood that doesn't have its its own particular sort of challenges but I think it was idyllic and it was beautiful and I think it made us very close but it also there was a need there like we needed each other because there was not that much other friendship or or intimacy it's quite a lot to ask from one relationship isn't it especially when you're reaching what age of 10 11 yeah it is and I think there was a sort of sense of us being very much the same we sort of looked a bit a bit the same you know and and we liked the same things we liked horses and running around the garden and keeping chameleons and jumping around and climbing trees and so we were the same you know but then I think I guess at about that age you it starts to become apparent that maybe you you have different interests and you and you are different and I think I think that may have taken us a bit by surprise you know mm. you were just the girls I suppose to your parents like the girls are doing this well, exactly. and the girls are doing that yeah, exactly yeah exactly so after the age of eight after you maybe were a bit more sentient about it and you had to leave friends that presumably you'd made in location a b or c did you start to think oh this isn't as great as maybe i thought it was yes i definitely from from so that that move was you know also one from a really beautiful and uh sort of free life to moving to America which was quite a shock as a change in itself and I I don't remember so much focusing on missing friends honestly and I'm sure that's huge testament to having that close bond with Kat but I definitely just found it hard to move to somewhere that was so much more urban and more structured with school it was such a big change for all of us we all sort of slightly introverted for a while working on placing ourselves in the new world and when you tried to describe when you arrived in the states where you'd come from you said you introverted a bit but you must have had to explain (laughs) to your new classmates like I just grew up on this tropical island and sitting in avocado (laughs) trees you know yes how was that (laughs) well thankfully we went to this wonderful international school there and there were people from from all over the world but I definitely say oh I'm, I'm from Madagascar and my parents had to sort of gently say not not really um no you <laughs> you're from you know they would say you're you say that you're from Devon and I and I was like I don't really know where Devon is just yet <laughs> you know without being too much of a pop psychologist although I, I do like doing that but um you know the idea of family and that slight claustrophobia and the identity and the little tribe thing is something that you do like to riff on in your books well, that's the, that. That's the thing is, you know, that it's so strange, isn't it? Writing happens so in the subterranean bits, or, in, or perhaps just out of the corner of your eye. Maybe is a better way of phrasing it. Like Antonia and I, particularly, I, I think we remember things and commemorate things very differently. She's really good at documenting stuff. Like she takes lots of photos. She has lots of really like amusing and explicit memories. I, 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 I think I have. <laughs> I think I have a sort of 
more kind of almost like sea change memory where I find it difficult to sometimes to, to you know remember specific things but what happens what what comes out when I start writing is those relationships mm-hmm. you know is 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 absolutely those things but it it didn't really sometimes it takes someone pointing it out to me in a way because it's just so embedded mm-hmm. um in my psyche but yeah I know I think it's a very fair point and De- Devon is quite important it seems to sort of loom large this Dartmoor environment in her yes. horror books and from what I've read she from quite small suffered mm. from night terrors and would often creep into your bed I read if she suffered from one of them can you remember that and if you can can yes. you describe what that was like for you two first of all it, it, Devon and Dartmoor is such a huge part of our life and now I'd be so fiercely proud to say that I come from Devon <laughs> Now you know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now I know that it's it's there and, and we're going to always be going there. <laughs> um, yeah, the night terrors was, was a very, very, very vivid thing. You know, I, it, we, our rooms were on opposite ends of this house, this old Devon Long house. And, you know, it had big bright windows and it, it had a very, you know, sort of nice clean feel to it during the daytime. But at night I'd, you know, peacefully go to sleep in my room and... Um, you know, you can hear foxes calling off in the distance and all of this sort of, you know, wind rustling the trees and just just very, you know, atmospheric. It was a good three or four years where wherever we spent a night in that house, and I don't know why it was just in that house, maybe it was a particular kind of anxiety, but I'd wake up with a hand in the small of my back, just push, pushing me, shoving me out of bed. I'd fall and it'd land quite hard on the floor. Um, it felt, but it was, it was terrifying and it was all... It was more than that as well. There was a real sense of you know when you can tell there's someone in the room with you. Yes. Even when even when uh, you can't see them, I could I just knew there was someone there, and I knew it didn't like me. And then in, in the middle of the night, I'd wake up and there's you know cats sort of curled up on the floor or or you know kind of sliding into bed with me, and um, she she just didn't really say why you know, and it just kept happening, and I didn't really think too much about it and then uh, she explained it and one night I slept in her room and I, I have to say I definitely um <laughs> got absolutely terrified I don't think that I've felt fear like that before or since it's not fear that has a sort of place in the daylight world you know there, there are lots of things I've frightened of but that is the most frightened I think I've ever been because I've never felt you know sort of like I have night terrors like that I don't know whether I was just um connecting with what (laughs) she'd experienced in the room but it had a different atmosphere from my room without sounding too out there (laughs) and yeah I just used to creep in to her to her bedroom and sleep on her floor and it's so strange because I don't think you really question things like that at, at, at that age you you sort of take take the world for granted as it is because I think perhaps also at that time you're already discovering that there's so much you don't know about the world you know you're just on the cusp of or in in my case adolescence and and you're you're realizing that the world is strange so perhaps that seemed just part and parcel of the strangeness because I don't think we really discussed it with my parents well also Um, you're 40 I'm 43 I'm imagining parenting back in the 80s 70s there wasn't so much a sort of leap to pathologize and label and medicalize everything the same way that there is now 
the thing is, you don't know they're night terrors at the time, do you? No. You, especially, this is a pre-Google age, you know, and there was no way to, to really investigate things like that. All children have bad dreams as well, and it's just very... How do I, as an inarticulate 13-year-old, distinguish this from, from a bad dream? Mm. It's not it's not easy to, to find the language to do that. So I wrote a book about it instead, <laughs> 20 years later. <laughs> um, even at that time, it was, I, it's interesting, isn't it? I went to her... I went to her room, mm. not to like my mom or dad's room. I th- I don't know why. I think I think actually there was also slightly. So I'm just thinking back now. There might have been a slight sense of shame as well because I think I don't know. Really extreme fear does bring shame. I yeah. think it makes you it makes you feel vulnerable, and I'm not sure I wanted my parents to know in a way. And your little I, sister's not going to judge you because she's your little sister. <laughs> Well, quite exactly. That's a, that, that's a really that's a really good point. And so, yeah, looking back, I think that might have been a big part of it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What sorts of games would you play when you're in Dartmoor? You're pretending to be horses galloping around your Madagascan um, garden. What would you play and how would you spend your time there? Oh, there was a lot of pretending that we're horses everywhere, really. <laughs> um, and then we'd uh, we each had a little patch of garden that our our mum and dad had given to us. So we would, you know, choose little plants for it and sort of play about gardening with it. It was a weird landscape for us, you know. It's be- it like hills and tors and wild ponies and bracken and and like Bronze Age stone circles on a hilltop. It just it was completely different to everything we'd known. There was a path that went right up onto the moor, so we'd. Uh, wander up there through the old woodland up onto the tours. I mean, your childhood sounds... I can't really expect... It just sounds so free. It, yeah, it really did feel free. Yeah, it really did. And I found it incredibly, and still still do actually, I found it incredibly kind of enlarging. It made me feel at the same time more secure and also more kind of big, bigger inside, if that makes sense. And I think that started back then for sure. She does talk a lot about playing horses, and you've mentioned horses. <laughs> Just talk me through the horsey thing. <laughs> I think horses are quite magical, aren't they? You know, in those places like in Kenya and Madagascar, perhaps there wasn't a great 
deal of social activity or, go, or ways of going out to see the world, you know, because you're quite little and you can't really do things on your own. And I think riding horses, first of all, is it's it's just very fun and it's a physical thing you can do, but it also is a way of like, get, you know, getting out and seeing the countryside and be, and I'm talking about actual horses now, not, and play, not playing horses, but <laughs> particularly for her, she was very, she was very, very good. Um, she used to compete and oh. she won a lot of medals. She did not tell me that. Of course she wouldn't. She would never tell you that. She's very modest. But she, yeah, she was very, very good. She used to like show jump in America. I'm going to slightly tell you off, Antonia, for being so humble and not mentioning the fact that you are some sort of supersonic horsewoman and your older sister had to tell me about it. <laughs> well, that's very she... kind of her. <laughs> well, you were. You're so good. Well, right, right back at you. E- equal supersonic horsewoman. No, you were better. No, you were always better. And I used to mind. I, I just did anymore. it more. I just did it person. more. I don't know, man. I think you were just better. <laughs> That's very, very big of you. <laughs> so you said that um, Catriona's, you know, very much, she's always been your older sister, obviously, and you look up to her. And But how would mm-hmm. you describe her maybe then and now? What's her character like? Uh, I think, it, so when we were little, like, Cat was so much fun, but she also had this incredible interior world. Like, looking back through old photos in almost every one, she's holding a book. And then, I mean, it's so hard to say over the years, but I mean, she's so sort of fiercely protective and loyal. And I think she's very, she's very sort of brave and bold, I'd say. I think she's certainly the person I want on my survival team. (laughs) She's, she's been the younger one, but she's been the one who's done a lot of things first and indeed forged ahead. Like usually there's a sort of, idea in my head that you know the the older one does things first that's part of the benefit of being the older one you know you go ahead and you get in trouble with the parents first and you do you you do smoking and naughty kissing and things like that (laughs) but actually (laughs) sorry not that I'm not actually talking about those things in particular but like she's done some really incredibly brave things like she fell in love and she moved all the way across the world for a boy and I remember thinking like don't move don't move don't give up your job and move for a boy but you know that I was wrong and she's you know she got married and and had kids and and I haven't I haven't done either of those things and it's always struck me as incredibly brave and I mean I even remember when we were younger she was always the one who like for instance with traveling and things like that I'm sort of maybe my inner life is richer than my interest in the outer I don't know but she always was the one who said you know let's go and backpack around Costa Rica I don't know that I ever would have done it without her. And how do you think she would describe you then if she's this if she's this kind of brave bookish older sister how would she describe you? Bookish but incredibly incredibly funny. I mean so, you know, quick-witted and just that also the life and soul of the party. I think you know those those periods of settling into life in new places are the ones where we possibly, you know, we all had to sort of find a way to fend for ourselves in a way, not that you know, there's necessarily anything negative in it, but it's it's very hard to fit in again and again. So I think those periods, you know, people find a way of doing it, whether that's retreating into a quiet place for a while or becoming um, more outgoing than you might naturally be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've certainly found myself in that second place before. Um, sorry, I'm rambling. How would she describe me? I I don't know. I mean, we've, we've laughed a lot over the years, so probably 
probably quite um quite I don't I don't want to call myself funny but quite fun (laughs) and um maybe a bit a bit um I don't know anxious (laughs) she thinks you would describe her as somewhat anxious yeah I think (laughs) we both have the capacity to to feel anxious, particularly about the past, and feel that you know everything one's done is quite embarrassing, or just worth a sort of a long hot bath of shame, and uh, <laughs> like just because it, because I think it's a, bit, I think it's a, sh- a sort of slightly shared hypervigilance. Mm. I think she's a, she's a, maybe she's a gent- gentler soul, you know, mm. so she takes it more to heart. In my mind, and forgive me if this is totally wrong, but when I read about your childhood, this kind of peripatetic childhood all around the world and picking up and packing up as I've said and integrating and relying on each other for company and then when I got the emails to set up this podcast I was like oh look at that Antonia lives in Los Angeles that's a long way away from Catriona now yes I said that's my one great sadness about being here is being away from my family and from Kat I miss them dreadfully and how, how do you stay in touch uh, I mean, thankfully, we're in the age that we are, so we can speak to Kat as often as I can get hold of her. She's so busy, and she has been the most unbelievable support. You know, the, she's come out for the birth of both of my sons, which has been amazing, especially this younger son who was born, you know, in the, the pandemic, and she really made such an enormous effort to be here, which, which was huge for us and she's got a wonderful bond with them particularly our older son both of them but it meant the world that we could have her here to be with him yeah so hard during the last year all of these stories of separation I'm sorry I didn't mean to poke (laughs) no I'm so sorry oh yes I cry I cry at everything by the way (laughs) Sorry about that. So do I. I think it's, I don't know what it is. Maybe the last year has made us softer than we were before. <laughs> well, it was amazing. That's the thing. That's what I was think, saying about the, bra- the, the bravery. I mean, phys- physically, the idea of what she actually did to produce an actual human being, just, I don't really understand it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, incre- it's incredible to me. And it's incredible that she... Not that not that she did it because she's actually very physically quite brave. It's just that she's, yeah, that, that it's that it's happened to someone that close to me. And it's so strange seeing her in the little boys, you know, in their little faces sometimes, and see, and you think, God, you know, this person is made of her. Yeah. It's extraordinary, and they they felt like family immediately as well. Actually, I've that I was surprised by that, not because I didn't expect to love them, but because that immediate visceral, uh, "You're made of me, and I'm made of you." was I, I didn't expect it to be quite so so f- overpowering you know I remember that with my first nephew who lived overseas as well really? absolutely blood of my blood I thought well that's it I would die for that <laughs> straight it, away it's true isn't it yeah it's true and I, I think aunties are actually quite important hugely important oh well I, she's so amazing with children she just is so natural and so fun with them our older son has had a chance to really bond with her and like whenever she calls and whenever he she he hears the FaceTime noise he goes cat <laughs> um and he can't wait to see her face <laughs> so she's i mean from from our side she's just a you know 
assumed that role so beautifully. And I wonder, I mean, doesn't sound maybe like it, but I wonder, she's become a mother. Does it feel like she's sailed off without you? Or do you feel like because you're so close to the boys, she's taken you with her? I feel like I'm very much part part of their part of their life and yeah I do I I feel like we've both found our correct channels as it were it's not something that that my I I feel that there's burning desire for that she has um superseded me in Mm -hmm. I I I think you know I finally got the life I want really with with writing I can you imagine like my parents I wanted to be an actor and then a writer (laughs) it's like out of the frying pan into the fire and they probably were just thinking you know is she she going to retire with us (laughs) um but um so I've got a life doing that now and it suits me it feels like we both built something and I can really I can very much enjoy I can enjoy what she's built because it's it's very beautiful now you know she's writing books and getting the sort of plaudits she deserves for writing brilliant books what does it feel like to have this you know old brave bookish funny sister um be admired in the way that perhaps I'm guessing you kind of always thought she should be admired by lots of people not just you oh I think you just summed it up that it's exactly how I have always you know felt that she should be received and um how her books should be enjoyed and and it I think it's I don't know there's something wonderful about this sort of happening now you know she's been through so much you know becoming a writer and it's a big new career to build really so I'm I'm so happy that all of that work is paying off and I I, I really can't put it better than it's exactly what I think she deserves Oh, now I'm going to cry. Oh, that's very, very sweet. Oh, she's a dog. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, well, God. Yeah, that's, that's, very, that's very Antonia. Um, she's amazing. Thanks to Catriona and Antonia. And thank you too for listening. Do you have nicknames for each other, you two? I know you call her Cat. Is there any others? When she was really little, um, my parent, we all called her Kanga. And Katie, I, th- I mean, she, I know she calls me Noon, Noony or Noon. <laughs> Noony, yeah, yeah, I think I'd called you that earlier and I thought, oh God, did I just call you Noony? Maybe you don't want me to. <laughs> I, I would call her any variation of anything, cattle, katink. <laughs> and there's the, the, the shout out, the shout out the kitchen, out the kitchen door. Katie, Noony, Chris, Topsy, Topsy the dog. <laughs> like any of them will do. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham, who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Nick Sonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. There'll be no new episode next week as it's half term, but later on this week, listen out for the first conversation with Professor Alison Pike about roles that siblings assume in the family. To see some really sweet pictures of Catriona and Antonia, or to catch up on any episodes you may have missed, or to find out more about the podcast, head to relativelypodcast.com. Tradition of love and hate Stand by the fireside Another rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Although your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest had
got a load of rosettes. We've got a load of rosettes. My rather strange fumbly answer. My rather strange fumbly answer. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like that. That that little vignette makes me terrified of hearing myself on the actual thing. It makes me feel like a really bad experimental poem about the podcast. (laughs) It's like a a fever dream. We got loads of rosettes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 